0: A friend of mine lived overseas with her husband when he was on a work contract. And as her husband would go to work each day, she would lace up her shoes and spend some time running along the roads. In many places they were winding and in some places they were steep. And she would, she would stay on the side of the road and would move into the gravel and the grass as cars would come past or as a cyclist would pass going the opposite direction. And she would smile and she would wave and she would receive a kind smile and wave in return. One morning, she was on the same road she had run several times, passing the same cyclist, smiling the same smile, and giving the same wave. In a flash, the cyclist passing her flew through the air and over the roof of the car that crashed into him and bumped into her. When the police arrived, the cyclist was pronounced dead, and the young woman was taken to the hospital. She never wanted to run again. That sight on the side of the road was tainted with her trauma. She could no longer even drive past that spot without a knot in her stomach. In Joshua 3 and 4, the Lord called to Joshua to have the people consecrate themselves and to be ready to enter the land that God had promised. The priest led the way with the Ark of the Covenant and when they stepped into the Jordan River, God stopped the water upstream so that it built up like a wall. The nation walked through the Jordan and the priests followed behind. One man from each of the 12 tribes was commanded to get one large stone from the middle of the river to bring out and to set up a memorial of the event. If you guys would open up to Joshua 4, 15 to 24, please. So he told them to set up a memorial. And if we go further back, starting in verse 1 of chapter 4, it says, When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe. And I tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priest stood, and to carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe. And he said to them, go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When across the Jordan, the waters of the the Jordan were cut off, these stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to their camp, where they put them down. Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And and they are there to this day. Now the priests who carried the Ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan, until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done by the people, just as, Moses, just as Moses had directed Joshua. The people hurried over, and as soon as all of them had crossed, the ark of the covenant, the ark of the Lord, and the priests came to the other side while the people watched. The men of Reuben, Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh crossed over armed in front of the Israelites, as Moses had directed them. About forty thousand armed for battle crossed over before the Lord to the plains of Jericho for war. That day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they revered him all the days of his life, just as they had revered Moses. And here's where our key passage picks up. The Lord said to Joshua, Command the priest carrying the ark of the testimony to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priest come up out of the Jordan, and the priest came up out of the river carrying the ark of the covenant of the Lord. No sooner had they set their feet on the dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place, and ran a flood stage as before. On the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up camp at Gilgal. The 12, he set up at Gilgal the twelve stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants ask their fathers, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you are crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan just what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before, uh, before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the people of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. God commanded Joshua to set up a memorial of this astounding work of God not just for the people who are present that day, but for future generations. An article in the Guardian says, a study by Pew Research found that the number of Americans who identified as Christian were 64% in 2020, with 30% of the US population being classed as religiously unaffiliated. About 6% of Americans identified with Judaism, Islam, Hinduism, and Buddhism. Since the 1990s, large numbers of Americans have left Christianity to join the growing ranks of U.S. adults who describe their religious identity as atheist, agnostic, or nothing in particular, Pew wrote. So the number who identified as Christian was 64%. The number who identified as Christian. That was in 2020. In 1972, 92% of Americans said they were Christian. But But by 2070, that number will drop below 50%, and the number of religiously affiliated Americans, or nuns, will probably outnumber those adhering to Christianity. Surely we're seeing that wherever we go today. Am I wrong? This is disheartening. The reasons stated by those who are leaving the church include hypocrisy, judgmentalism, and for some, just getting out of the habit of going. In some cases, because of the pandemic. It can also be easy to forget our history with God. Whether that be personally, as a family, or even in regards of connecting to the Bible. It's important that we understand our history with God. It's important that we hold on to that history. Do we recognize what God has done? So how, is it, how do we keep these memories fresh? How do we keep our memories fresh? The first thing we need to do is we need to revisit God's work in His Word. In Deuteronomy 8, 1 and 2, it says, Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord has promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years and to humble and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. Remember, he, let, he rescued Israel from slavery in Egypt And then he spent 40 40 years in the desert, in the wilderness, as God pruned off the generation that stopped believing. It's easy for us to look back and say, how could they possibly forget what God has done? But we forget what God has done. We forget it all the time. You say, yes, but we did not have the Red Sea part in front of us. We didn't have... Uh, Plagues against our enemies that forced the ruler of those who enslaved us um, to finally say, All right, that's enough, let him go. We don't have the experience of God providing for us day to day through manna and quail, where there is nothing we can do except to go out and uh, collect what little bit we're allowed to collect for that day or we have to depend day by day by day on God because there is nothing more maybe that's the problem maybe the problem is we don't feel like we need to depend on God day by day by day by day we can predict when our paycheck is going to come we can predict when our mortgage is going to be due I say we can predict that but did anybody else get their recent tax assessment I didn't see that coming But I say this with mixed emotions because it bothers me that I was hit with that. But the mixed emotion is, but I know that God's going to take care of that too. However, he's going to work that out, I have to trust because of what God has already done for me, what he's going to continue to do for me. That is why it's important for us to revisit what God has done. So revisit God's work in his word. Why did it say that God led them in the wilderness? In Deuteronomy, he says, God led you all the way in the wilderness. these 40 years to humble and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. We know in the story um, of the rich young ruler that Jesus did the same thing. What do I have to do? And Jesus said, sell everything and give it to the poor. On several occasions he asked him, uh, on a few occasions Jesus asked people and we're told he did this to test them. Which always seems like kind of a strange statement because we will say that God does things to test us. But we really don't really know what that means. As if God is looking for some answer from us that he'll be okay with. I love this statement by David Guzik because it's something that, that I've wondered about and I thought, am I right? Am I, am I thinking here? And David Guzik says, God tested Israel. It was not because he didn't know their hearts, but because they didn't know their hearts. We have to constantly be corrected of our overestimation of ourselves. When God moves in us, when he withholds from us, when he redirects us, whatever it is he's doing, who is he trying to convince about who we are. He knows who we are. He knows what he has to do, but we're not convinced. It's okay, God, I can handle this. I got it, it's okay. By looking into the mirror of the word, we're reminded of who we really are, which allows God to work in us. But we are also reminded of what he has been doing for his people for centuries, serving to encourage us that he can do the same for us. How many times has this come up either in our head or in our heart or in a conversation or in a Bible study or something? Yeah, but that's Old Testament. That's Old Testament. That doesn't apply to us. How many of us trust in Christ because of the Old Testament? Because some God didn't just show up in uh, Bethlehem as a baby and the mom say, hey, this is a child of God. And everyone's like, okay, I got you a child of God. I see how it is. That was Joseph's doubt until he was visited by an angel. He said, no, she's right. She hasn't been unfaithful to you. And Joseph's response was, okay, I can work with that. But we have the prophecies. When Jesus was telling the story of Lazarus and the rich young ruler and And he said, let somebody come back from the dead. (laughs) Let me come back from the dead and and warn my family and friends. And Jesus said, no, that's okay. They have the law and the prophets. If that's not good enough, nothing will be good enough. I've been watching videos of apologists and listening to stories of apologists and and short response videos and in some cases whole debates. And and the response from, from atheists is, if God... If you will do this, I will believe. If you will do this, I will believe. If you will do this, I will believe. Jesus said, no, you won't. It's not an issue of evidence. It's not an issue of the reality of how things work in the world. It's not an issue of your moral code. It is the hardness of heart. We are hard. So we don't want to listen to what God has to say to us, what he has to point out to ourselves, because he will show us what is in our hearts, and we'll say, if God's going to talk to me about me, the conversation is over. And people are walking away from church. Most of the time, they're not walking away from, from the church simply because the church lets them be whoever they want to be. Usually, it's because the church has called them out to not be who they used to be. Psalm 106, 6-8 six six through eight says, We have sinned, even as our ancestors did. We have done wrong and acted wickedly. When our ancestors were in Egypt... They gave no thought to your miracles. They did not remember your many kindnesses. And they rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his name's sake to make his mighty power known. I love how he says we. We have sinned. Not they. Our ancestors were terrible people. Look what they did. He said we have sinned just like they did. We have done wrong and acted wickedly. And when our ancestors were in Egypt, they gave no thought to your miracles. They did not remember your many kindnesses, and they rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. Yet he saved them. Why? For their sake? No. For his name's sake. To make his mighty power known. He did amazing things, not for the people of Israel necessarily, but for those who would hear what happened to Israel. Israel. Remember what God's call to Israel was is to live different, be different, don't act like they do, don't worship like they do, don't eat what they do, don't do your laws like they do, this is how you're supposed to live. And then other nations will see, why do they have it so good? This is a piddly little people that is not a conquering army, they've been enslaved for 400 years, they come out and suddenly they have the best land, the best agriculture, the most civil laws, and they only worship this one God we've never heard of. What is going on over there? And in situations like this, so that when they cross over and when they come into the land, the Israelites can say, Oh, you see that stack of stones? You want to hear about God did at that stack of stones? You know what that pile of rocks is? That's what they're for. Is they point back to how good God is, how great God is, how miraculous He is, all the things He's done. Hudson Taylor says, God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply. Greg Steer, who runs Dare to Share Ministries, makes it very, very clear that what makes a a ministry, what makes a church evangelistic, what makes a church powerful, what makes a church effective, is not the programs, it is not the socials, it is not the fellowships, it's not the quality of the band, it's not even the quality of the preacher, it's prayer and prayer alone. He was a member of a church with 200 adults in that church and 800 youth. And he asked, why, why do you guys have so many kids come to this church? He said, because we pray. We pray for the Spirit of God to move. We pray for him to break through hearts. It is when we pray and we depend on the Holy Spirit, we depend on the power of God, that he breaks through places we can never go. We try to argue into the mind of somebody else about why they should believe in Christ when it is the law of God, it is the word of God that bypasses the mind and goes straight to the heart. And then their mind opens up to what the reality of the situation is. But we have to know who the God is that we serve. How do we know this God? We look at what he's done. We look at his history. And not just his history, but his history with us. When we visit the Word, when we spend our time in the Word, we see what God has done. We revisit it and we revisit it and we revisit it. Acts 14, 17 says, He has not left Himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. It is He who provides for us. We say, It's the rainy season. We should expect rain. It's going to be cold. It's going to be hot. My crops are going to get rain or they're not going to get rain. We, listen to the, we read the Farmer's Almanac. We listen to the weatherman. We talk to farmers who have been doing this a while. But do we pray for rain? Do we say, God, give me, the, um, give me what I need this year so that you're glorified and so I always recognize that it is you who provides? In the years of drought and in the years of rain, in the years of skim and the years of plenty, that God can be trusted because we have always seen what He can do. We've seen it in other people. Will He do it for us? Psalm 119.52 says, I remember, Lord, your ancient laws and I find comfort in them. What comfort is that? (laughs) The ancient laws. It is the things that cause us to focus on God and God alone, to depend on him and him alone. If my boss is being a jerk, it's okay. God's going to handle this. If my teacher is unfair, if the judge is unjust, if my parents are being petty, if my kids are rebellious, we depend on what God has done, what he can continue to do, and we can say, it's okay, God will work it out. God will work it out. God will work it out. He may not work it out the way we prefer, but he's just. First Chronicles. Sorry, John Piper. It says, Christians of all people understand the crucial importance of remembering. Christians are memorial people because the whole of our faith depends upon remembering. Those who persevere into the glorious future are those who remember the gracious past. First Chronicles 16, 11 and 12 says, Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles, and the judgments he's pronounced. In Hebrews 11, 32 to 40. says, what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword, they went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Even at the point of our death, God is still working to to bring about our futures. The writer of Hebrews pointed back and listed a lot of people by name, but then he said, but there were those that um, that I I don't have time to list all the great things God has done all the people who have served him, and the fact that they served him because of the hope that comes in the future, even at the point of death, that God's going to reconcile it. He's going to balance the books. It's impossible for us to focus on ourselves when we look into the mirror of the word. A few months ago, I started a, um, a boy's Bible study, the girl's Bible study had been going for a while, and um, the boy's Bible study is, is a different animal, <laughs> and I don't mean that in a derogatory term, although, um, but, uh, but the, the question, the, one of the first questions they asked is, what book are we using, and my answer was the Bible, that's the book I'm using, I'm using the Bible. Amy Carmichael says this. Never let good books take the place of the Bible. Drink from the well, not from the streams that flow from the well. There are a lot of great books, a lot of great Bible studies out there that help us to focus on the Word. But are we reading the Word from the passages in the books? Are we reading what an author has to say about what God has to say? Are we letting God of the Word the word of God communion with our spirit, his spirit commune with our spirit, and like, this is what I'm saying and I'm saying it to you. This is what I have to say for you to hear, for you to be changed into who I've created you to be. Without going through some other author who had their own experience and their own perception and their own wisdom. It's not a substitute, it's a supplement. Treat it as such. Spend your time in the word. As I've been doing a lot of work on our house, and, and a lot of you see me with my, my earbuds in when I'm walking around somewhere, or when I'm driving or whatever, and I, I don't listen to music very much at all. I couldn't even tell you who anybody is that sings or has albums. I mean, I know it aggravates the praise team, We're like, oh, I love this song. I have never heard it. Yeah, well, you're the drummer. Get with it, you know? <laughs> but uh, but I, I just don't know. My time is limited, and... Um, And this is not bragging on me, please understand. But it's something that has been a benefit to me. I listen to podcasts and preaching, Adrian Rogers, James Merritt. Um, Because I need that. I get easily distracted. And with my earbuds in, it blocks out everything except what God has to say to me. I've been listening to the audio Bible. Yesterday, I listened to uh, um, Galatians through Hebrews. While I was painting and patching, and driving, and going to the dump. Uh, um, but it's a, it's a great filter for everything else that, uh, that wants to invade our spirit. So never let good books take the place of the Bible. Drink from the well, not from the streams that flow from the well. So investing in the Word, revisiting the Word, gives us an insight into God's consistent work, His work for centuries past. Um, with a, an eye toward his continued provision and work in the future. The second thing that's it, important for us to keep our memories fresh is to revisit God's work in others. Revisit God's work in others. We tend to call each other to complain or to commiserate, but how good are we about singing praises and sharing praise about what God has done? When we post on social, how much do we give God credit for what he is doing How much of our time is spent crushing others under the grindstone of the rumor mill? In 2 Corinthians 13, 11, it says, Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the, love, and, and the God of love and peace will be with you. This is what we're told to do as part of our, our ministry in the church. We're supposed to encourage each other. Right? It so says, strive for full restoration, encourage one another, be of one, be of one mind, and live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Not Maybe he'll show up. We'll see what happens. It says he will be with you. God gives us the privilege and the honor of being in church fellowship. We're given the opportunity to worship and serve together, to bear each other's burdens, and to encourage each other. Sometimes we're not great at it. But one of the ways to encourage each other is to share of God's work in our lives. One of the ways we encourage each other is to share of God's work in our lives. I don't know who said it. I've heard it, I heard it a few times, several years ago, and it stuck, and it says a burden shared is a burden halved but a praise shared is a praise doubled. A burden shared is a burden halved but a praise shared is a praise doubled. Imagine what our church would be. Imagine what our lives would be as believers if we recognized what God did and we told others about it. Even stuff that is everyday ordinary things. When we recognize God's ongoing, consistent, persistent work in our lives, and we share that with other people, it changes our perspective to where God we see God in all the things that are going on around us. We see his hand. And not just in the miraculous things, not just after surgery, or after we're healed from um, from a disease, or after um, this great uh, task is accomplished, or not just after he provides in this amazing financial, financial way for us. but that God does things all the time for us. We you look back last year at the uh, Operation Christmas Child, the ride, right? And, um, and the testimony was shared, a very simple testimony, that we prayed it wouldn't rain until we got done. And God held off the rain until right after we got done. And people would say, man, what a coincidence. Or yeah, oh yeah, um, the weatherman could have told you that was going to happen because it was moving in. like, no, no, no. We asked God to do it, and he did it. Was it important? No. <laughs> it wasn't. I mean, it like from a crucial standpoint, it wasn't it's crucial important thing. But what it did was, our people prayed, and God said, "See, I'll answer your prayers. I'll prove to you that I hear you because I'll do something simple and easy that just makes your life a little bit better." And then what do they do? They tell everybody, "Look what God did." That is how the word of God spreads. That is how we begin to focus. On the big things that God does and the little things that God does, because we share in fellowship with one another through praises, through hymns, through songs. Colossians three sixteen says, "Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts." What is there to be thankful for? We can be thankful, of course, and we should be thankful for Jesus' work on the cross. But what about for our meal? What about for breakfast? God has been faithful to provide for me for over half a century. Obviously, every meal I ever wanted has been available. I say obviously because of God's goodness. I don't know what you're thinking. That was rude. some of you are watching on video or you're listening on podcast I want to encourage you to make it a point to be a part of a local church maybe you got out of the habits or you work most Sundays maybe you just feel awkward in church for any number of reasons but find a good Bible teaching local church to be a part of it Hebrews 10 24 to 25 Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. All the more as you see the day approaching. I think we can see the day approaching. Heather and I make it a point of watching, um, on the days that we're both home and available, of watching one local news and one world news, and that's it. We don't do 24-hour news cycles. We don't overwhelm ourselves with all the stuff that's going on in the world. It's bad enough for an hour a day. But we can see the day approaching. It's pretty obvious. Kip Ingram, who is my systematic theology professor in seminary, I don't know who he pulled this from, so I'm giving him credit. He said the beauty of the church is that our own understanding of God is enriched by the experiences of others. Our own understanding of God is enriched by the experiences of others. Why do we share what God has done? Why do we share what God has done for us in the church? Because between the several hundred of us that we spend time with together as believers, whether it's believers at, at work or believers at, at school or believers in your family, believers at your church, believers in your organizations and clubs, when you all get together and you talk about what God's done, I see God bigger than I can see him by myself. There is stuff that God has done for people in this room he's never done for me, and vice versa. Do we track what God has done for us so that he can receive glory and then share it with somebody else so he can receive glory again? A lot of times, our understanding of God, our grasp of who he is, comes because of what we have seen him do and other people. If I were to ask you what your favorite Bible story is, you could most of you could tell me. Maybe it's something you heard from when you were a child. Maybe it's something you ran across as an adult. Did you know that reading your favorite Bible story is a way of you seeing what God has done for somebody else and you being excited by it? How much more exciting is it when it's a person that we see face to face? That we spend time with, that we know. Unfortunately, I didn't know that my dad planted a church in Moldova until his funeral. Because he would tell me, for years, he would tell me, I'm going back to Moldova. He said, we're building a church. There's a church that didn't have a town. I mean, there was a town that didn't have a church in it. No evangelical churches at all. And uh, he started off being a part of this because uh, there was a ministry to stop, uh, that rescues girls from human trafficking. Um, over in, uh, in the former Soviet Union. So he got involved there somehow. Somebody came to the church or whatever. He got interested. He became involved there. And then he found out, he would visit Moldova, and somebody apparently made a, com- uh, made a comment that there's no evangelical churches here. And my dad came back apparently to the church and told the pastor, said, so there's this town, there's no evangelical churches in this town. And he said, we need to fix that. Remember, I didn't know this until his funeral. But this was probably 10 or 12 years before he died that he was doing this. Because he would say, um, he would say, we're, we're moving on that church. He said, we got the footings dug, we got the foundation dug, so next year we'll raise the money over the, this year, next year we'll go back and we'll pour the foundation. Because in Moldova, you're not allowed to own land as a church. So the church in America had to own the land. And they would raise money year by year. And they'd go and do another phase. So um, I got impatient because it took us like eight months to build this church. It took them ten years to build one. Because in the winter you can't dig and you can't work. It's like one degree out. So one year it would be the foundation. And then it would be the center block outside. And then they'd do put in some plumbing. And then they'd put in some electrical. And they'd put the inside walls. And they'd... Uh, they'd put the roof on. And every year it was a little bit something. They'd raise a few thousand dollars, take it over there, buy what they needed, do what they could, come back home. And finally, he was so excited when he called me the year, maybe two before he left. He said, We found a pastor. He said, We found somebody to pastor the church. But my perspective of both my dad and of God's faithfulness radically changed when I heard those stories. He never said, I'm planning a church. He's part of a team. He's part of a mission team. Because he always said, we were going over. God provided this, we're going over. God provided a pastor. The people have been itching for it. They've been waiting for it. To go to a place where the gospel isn't preached. Religion is preached. Depend on the church. But not trust in Christ by him sharing those stories with me it wasn't until at his funeral when his pastor talked about what a dramatic impact it was because of all this I had no idea that he that this was his idea it was God's idea but he used my dad but I had no idea because my dad never told me that but I could see the faithfulness of God regardless of what I knew about the person he was. The third thing for us to refresh our memory is to revisit God's work in yourself. Psalm 105.5 says, Remember the wonders He has done, His miracles, and the judgments that He's pronounced. In Deuteronomy 6, 1-12, says, this is very familiar, it's called the Shammah. You get down to verse 3, it's the Shammah. These are the commands, decrees, and laws. The Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord your God of your fathers promised you. Hear, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That means there is one God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then, when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Don't get comfortable because you're comfortable. But look back and remember how you got here. What has God done? And the best way for us to remember and to pass that on is to tell our families, to tell our children um, what God has done. Somebody else um, that was unknown said, when we face difficulties, we sometimes forget God's past faithfulness. We see only the detours and the dangerous path, but look back and you'll also see the joy of victory, the challenge of the climb, and the presence of your traveling companion who has promised never to leave you nor forsake you. Colossians two eleven to 15 says, in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Returning to the story of my friend. Over the course of months, she went to physical therapy to heal her body and talk therapy to heal her emotions. As she told me what was going on and how she struggled to break free of the fear of even seeing the sight of her accident, I asked her a question. Have you considered creating a new association for that site? What do you mean, she asked. Right now you see that as a place where you were almost killed and where you watched the cyclists die. Maybe you could set it up as a place of remembrance that God saved your life. I asked her to consider revisiting the site, offering a prayer of thanks, gathering some stones from the site and piling them up before praying again to offer God praise for his protection. A few days later, she emailed me that she had done it and what a difference it had made for her. It's so easy for us to get trapped and all this going wrong, things we wish were different. We can take these as personal slides from God or even forget about God altogether. But God remembers us. He remembers the covenant he made. He remembers the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf. And he remembers the resurrection What has God done for you? Who have you told about it? How well do you know the God that you claim to serve? Do you know his history? Do you even know your own history? How do we keep our memories fresh? We keep our memories fresh of what God has done by revisiting his work in the Word, centuries of work by revisiting his work in those that we know, those that are around us, by listening to what they have shared about God's work in them and rejoicing with them and doubling that praise. And then we look back at what God's work has been in us because he has been faithful. He's been faithful from before the day you were born. Andrew Clavin makes this statement. He says, because of the resurrection, The disciples knew that death was less than death and life was more than life. This made them fearless which made them free and this made them joyful. Are we so concerned with life and death that we ignore or refuse to give God credit for what he has done, what he continues to do and what he has yet to do but is going to happen? Stay in the Word. Serve the Lord. Give Him credit for His work. Praise Him for the stuff He's done. Piddly little things that we think are are menial that we've done ourselves. And the big things that He does when He shows off. He is always faithful. He remembers our His relationship. He remembers his covenant with us. Do you remember? Do you remember what God has done?